0: My name is Keith Beavers, and how many times do you hit the lock button on a car fob when you're walking into a store after you left the car in the parking lot? Five for me. Yeah. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Fine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of VinePair. Pair, and how are you doing? Okay, so we've talked about champagne, but we got to go to Spain, and we're going to talk about the Spanish champagne? No, no, it's called Cava. I know, it can get a little bit confusing, but it's going to be awesome. We're going to get into Cava. You're going to love it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by La Marca Prosecco, America's most loved sparkling wine from Italy. La Marca Prosecco offers a taste of what Italians call la dolce vida, which means the good life or the sweet life or both. I mean, when you think about it, every day is ripe for lively bubblies. I mean, am I right? To try La Marca Prosecco and the other bubblies we talk about, follow the link in the episode description to BarrelRoom.com. Okay, wine lovers. I'm excited, about, well, what am I not excited? I'm talking about wine. This is, like, always exciting for me. But what's really fun is that this episode and the next couple episodes, we're going to talk about sparkling wine. But we're not going to talk about how sparkling wine is made, because you already know how that's done. You've listened to all the episodes of all the seasons of the ongoing Wine 101 podcast, and you know all this stuff about winemaking. And we did a little overview on Champagne. At some point, we're going to have to dive deeper into that. We did a nice thorough episode on Prosecco. But there's a couple other sparklers out there that you're going to see on the American market from abroad that are prevalent. So we should talk about them. So today, we're going to talk about a Spanish sparkling wine called Cava. C-A-V-A. I don't know where you are in the realm of Cava, wine lover. (laughs) Are you in the, I see it on, I see it on, uh, shelves and it's affordable and I buy it and I know nothing about it, or I see it on shelves and I don't buy it because I don't know anything about it. Well, the thing about Kava and this, you know, I don't know about the rest of the country. I had a retail shop in New York for a long time and Kava, I think needs a little bit more understanding i feel like we need to understand this sparkling wine that's so ubiquitous on our shelves because it's great stuff <laughs> and it's just sitting there waiting for us and some some of you are just like drinking it and going oh this is great this is kava spanish this is all i know so let's drill down on I'm, i gotta stop saying drill let's go what am i saying are we going deeper are we drilling down god keith we'll talk more in depth okay let's talk more in depth about kava let's start to understand this place so when you're out there buying it you know what you're drinking in the 1970s in Spain, there was a very popular wine going around, specifically in the province of Catalonia, and specifically in the southern part, coastal area of that province called the Penedes, which is a low-lying, hilly area that was once a county just outside of Barcelona, which is just the north. And this wine was a sparkling white wine. And interestingly enough, it was made in the same way that the, wines, the sparkling wines of Champagne were being made, called the traditional method. We all know that from the sparkling wine episode in season one of Wine 101. The difference was these sparkling white wines were being made from native grapes in this area, not the varieties that are known in Champagne. But because of the general similarities to Champagne, the wine drinkers of this region, the Penedes, the Catalonia, began calling this wine Champagne, which is just a kind of Spanish way of saying Champagne. They had, had another more casual way of saying it. I think it's called Achampando. I'm not really sure. As this wine became more and more popular, Champagne, the people of Champagne got a little concerned because of the misleading labeling of Champagne versus Champagne so there, are, there was eventually an agreement that the sparkling wines of Spain would no longer be called Spanish Champagne or Champagne or Achampando and would call their sparkling wine the word they use for wine cellar, which is cava. And the sparkling Spanish wine cava was born, even though it was already being made for quite some time. And I've always wondered how these things work, where a region's like, look, you got to stop doing this because this is our region and you're calling it our region and you're using it for your marketing purposes. This happened in California with the word Chablis. Um, I, I, I found this thing called the Madrid System, and it's part of the Madrid Agreement from 1891, and it is an agreement between countries that certain trademarks will stay protected. And I believe this is This was used to fix this whole situation. But the thing is, it makes sense that for the longest time, this was called Champagna because of the origin of the sparkling wine. Because Cava is not your typical, you know, it's not ancient. It's fairly new in the entire world of wine thing. And it all starts with one of the oldest family businesses in Catalonia. In 1872, a man by the name of José, Raventos, made his way to France. He was the current head of the family firm Cordonieux, which is located in the Penedes in a little town called Sant Sadorni da noia I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not. But this family firm had wines, and for a long time, wines were mostly meant for local consumption. But Jose wanted to sell their wines to the rest of Europe. So he decided to go on a tour of France, and he ended up in Champagne, which is interesting because the wines he was selling were mostly red wines. At that time, in the Penedes, I don't know that it was primarily red wine, but a lot of red wine and white wine was being made. Now, I'm not sure what's going on in Jose's brain at this point, but he's in France, trying to sell his family's Spanish wine. He ends up in Champagne, drinking that wine, and he has an epiphany. At some point, he's like, wait a second, this is a great wine. I wonder if we could do this back in the Penedes in our homeland. So as Jose has this revelation and starts making his way back to France, it's at this time, generally, that phylloxera takes hold of Spain. Obviously, the Penedes is affected, and... It's decimated. There are a lot of vines that die because of Phylloxera in the Penedes. Now, I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but what happens is, Jose comes back to the Penedes, Phylloxera takes hold, Phylloxera decimates, they uproot all the vines, and when they replant, they don't replant the varieties, the reds that were, especially the reds that were there before, they end up planting three native white varieties, paraeda, Charello, and Macabeu. And all this coinciding with each other, those three grapes will become the three grapes that make up the sparkling wine of Spain that will eventually be called Cava. So even though Cava is a fairly new word the first sparkling wine, the first cava was really made in the Penedes by Jose Raventos in the 19th century for the family for, firm firm, Corderney. Firm, and then in 1889, Jose Ferrer establishes probably one of the most well-known cavas on our market from the back in the day, Frigionet. So that's cava. It's a Spanish sparkling wine. Made using the traditional method. And in 1986, when Spain was brought into the EU, the idea of cava had to be addressed because it was being made all throughout the northeastern sort of part of Spain. And it had a bit of a history, you know. First it was Champagne, or Achampando, or Sparkling Spanish Champagne, or Spanish Champagne. But... Unlike Champagne, it wasn't made in a specific region. It was being made all over the place. So the EU was like, we got to rein this in. And in doing so, created one of the most unique wine appellations in Spain, if not the world. Because Cava is not one region. It is a wine made with specific rules or parameters within a list of... Of provinces throughout Catalonia. Does that make sense? So the production of cava is restricted to a list of municipalities in the regions of Catalonia, Valencia, Aragon, Navarra, Rioja, and the Basque Country. So if you want to put Cava on your label, it has to be within those regions. Now, regions. Now, 95% of this is actually made in Catalonia, specifically in the Penedes area where it all began. And to call it Cava, there's a list of um, rules that you have to adhere to to have this on your label. It has to have nine months on the leaves before you disgorge it. It has to have a certain atmosphere of pressure, which I think is four atmospheres. There's a maximum yield, there's a variety, there's a a minimum and maximum um, alcohol, which I think maxes out at like 12 or 13% alcohol. And just like Champagne has three varieties they use in their blends, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Ligné, the wines of Cava use their three varieties, the varieties that were planted post phylloxera You have the light, aromatic Macabeu in Rioja, they call it Viura, And this takes up a significant amount of the cava blend because it gives it that vibrancy. Then you have Charello, X A R E L L O. Sometimes the dash between the A and the R. It's the second most important variety in the blend because of its earthiness. Macabeu can give you that aromatic, but Charello comes in with the depth. It's it's awesome, and sometimes it plays with the aromatics of the Macabeu and brings us a very cool, awesome like earthy note to the wine. And then the third grape is Padallera. This, this grape is main, mainly used for body. And it, was, it still is used today for body. But in 1986, when, the, uh, when Spain was brought into the EU, it went ahead and said, you know what? These three varieties you can use, but you can also use Chardonnay. And everyone's like, thank you so much. Chardonnay brings a beautiful body and roundness to cava. It doesn't doesn't take away from the inherent qualities of the other varieties. It just adds to the depth and roundness of a cava. It's pretty cool. Not all cavas have Chardonnay in them, but they're allowed. Also, there's some red varieties that are allowed in cava. Garnacha, Monastrel, also known as Morvedra, Pinot Noir, and a native grape called Trapat. Guys, Trapot is awesome. If you can find it as a red wine or as a rosé, it's really cool. And in cava, it's only permitted in the rosés. And like I said, they're made the same way they're made in champagne. Not like Prosecco, which goes through the Charmat method. This is actually traditional second fermentation in bottle. And you'll notice there's a lot of cava out there. The thing is, the Spanish invented something called the gyro palette. This is a machine that can take, I think, up to 150 bottles of wine and mechanically time its riddling. So, again, this is, if you don't know about riddling, this is, gonna be, this is in the sparkling wine episode that I did in season one. But riddling was usually done by humans and by hand, and it took a long time. This gyro palette cuts that time in half, if not less, and allows more bottles to be put out into the market sooner. And you know the winemakers of Champagne love this technology. So it's just kind of interesting how the Spanish took the traditional method from what they saw in Champagne and created their own sparkling wine and in doing so became innovative, created their own riddling system mechanically that the Champagne region then started buying for their, I don't know, for their wine, it's a little, a little nice little symbiotic circle there of wine, huh? The thing about the price of kava on our market, you're going to see a significant amount of cava that is extremely well-priced, very affordable. And I believe a lot of that is in competition with some of the oldest winemaking families in the region. But as this region has evolved, regions, you know, like the multiple regions that can make cava, as they have evolved, I mean, it's all, a lot of it's concentrated you know, down in the Penedes, new generations of smaller winemakers producing more concentrated, almost high-end Cava that's a little bit more expensive is coming onto our market. If you go around out there and you look at Cava, you're going to see that price range between 12 and maybe $20. If you see a Cava that's like maybe $30 or more, definitely grab it and try it because they are taking those varieties that they can use and they are building something beautiful for you in a smaller production to give you a sense of what this region can really do. And one of the reasons why I'm saying that is number one, I've tried some of them. They're they're pretty stunning. But also in 2014, a new classification of cava was put into place and it's a single vineyard cava. So it's called Cava del Paraje Calificado. And it's just, what that means is Cava from a classified plot of land, single vineyard. Now, as we know, single vineyard wines are often a little more expensive because it's smaller production and there's more concentration of flavor because it's a smaller plot of land to, to, to harvest from. So if you're out there and you see that, that Cava del Paraje, if you see the word Paraje on a Cava, grab it because you're starting to, you'll be enjoying something that's kind of brand new in the Cava realm. All right, wine lovers, so that's basically kava in a nutshell. Go out there and try this stuff. I mean, it's, they're all over the place. They have all different, I mean, they're, they're going to have the three main varieties in them usually and some Chardonnay, but there's some kavas out there that get very fun and experimental with other varieties that are allowed in the blend. It's a really cool category out there. Enjoy kava, especially now that you know all about it. Find Pear Keith is my Insta, rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, it really helps get the word out there. day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pair's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wines. I mean Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment and moments that matter. Cheers. Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.